Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, focused on applying Mazda's customer-centric approach for vehicle design to car buying and servicing in order to create an experience centered around the customer. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com. This is Charlotte Talks. I'm Mike Collins. Last year, there were 647 mass shootings in the United States. 210 people died, including 19 children in Uvalde, Texas. In 2021, the number of mass shootings totaled 693. So far this year, just 54 days into 2023, there have been 80 mass shootings. Last weekend, there were 10 in just three days. Not all of these received glaring headlines or nonstop TV coverage. In fact, you probably didn't hear about most of them, and those that did grab your attention probably didn't shock you. We've become numb to this onslaught of senseless gun violence. It has, however, left people looking for answers to questions like why this only happens in the United States, and how can we stop it? Some advocate for stronger gun laws. Others want to loosen restrictions. Moves in that direction are occurring in a number of Republican-controlled states, including our own. So this hour, we explore the intersection of gun violence and our gun laws. Later in the program, we'll hear from a member of the state Senate and others to focus on North Carolina. But we start with a conversation about all this with Stephen Dettelbach. He is the director of the Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms and Explosives. He's in town to meet with local law enforcement and community groups and has carved out some time to speak with us now. Thank you for being here. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Mike. You were sworn in as director of the ATF in July of last year and are in charge of uh, an agency charged with protecting the public by enforcing laws and regulations regarding firearms and explosives and more. So given the number of mass shootings and daily gun violence in America that kills and wounds people uh, below the level of mass shootings, how are we doing? So... Look, I mean, I think it's really important to be honest about this. Gun violence is a huge problem in this country. Uh, As you said, mass shootings are up, but so too uh, are the the number of uh, gun deaths that occur in this country every single day, over 109 every single day. And just as you said, many of them don't even crack the public consciousness anymore. Every one of those incidents is a family that is uh, short a mother, uh, a father, a brother, a sister, a friend. So to me, the one thing you said uh, just now that really worries me the most is that somehow people are becoming numb to this. They're accepting it. They're somehow thinking that this is part of our American story, part of our culture. It is not part of our American culture or story. Uh, Murdering people at a clip of uh, so many people all the time, over and over and over again, is wholly un-American. It's not part of who we are. We don't accept it at ATF. The state and local law enforcement folks that I talk to don't accept it. The people in the communities shouldn't accept it. None of your listeners should accept it. It is wholly unacceptable. So the first thing is to just make sure that we don't become numb somehow uh, to, to what's going on and that we don't kid ourselves about the fact that this is a very dangerous and growing problem in our country. But this didn't used to happen. I'm old enough to know that for a fact, and that when it did happen, it was so horrifically shocking that the world stopped for a week or so while we tried to process the information. What has changed? Why is it happening all the time? 
So, so first of all, let me just say that it's not just anecdotal evidence that shows that this problem is changing. Uh, and it's important that we, that we support uh, our, our, our thoughts, or what we're hearing, what I hear from law enforcement with facts. So let me just try to set the stage for some of this conversation. Just uh, recently, ATF put out, for the first time in 20 years, part of a report that talks about America's crime guns. In other words, these are the firearms used in crimes to hurt people in the United States. And it's a massive report with more data in one place than has ever been put forth before about crime guns. Um, so what are some of the things in that report that are grabbing? The first is uh, that uh, the time to crime. So in other words, the amount of time that it takes between when a gun is sold in lawful commerce until when it shows up at a crime scene where it's been misused to hurt somebody is shrinking. Uh, the time to crime is shrinking. So what does that tell us? That tells us it's taking less time for guns to leak out of the normal legal commerce stream and get into the wrong hands. Another, another big, big point uh, in this report that's just shocking is the number of guns stolen from private individuals. In the five-year period covered by the report, over 1.2 million firearms were stolen from individuals. I'm not even talking about stealing from, from gun stores. I'm talking about stealing from individuals. I'm talking about people who leave their car unlocked at the, the mall um, with a gun under the driver's seat. That gun gets stolen. Guess what? Nobody's stealing that gun to go hunting. That gun is showing up down the street and it's hurting one of your neighbors, one of the people in our communities. A huge problem of guns uh, getting into the hands of people who everybody agrees shouldn't have them. So to answer your question, one of the things that's going on is that it's becoming easier and easier for prohibited people, people who the law says, who everybody agrees, shouldn't be able to have firearms to get them. And any strategy that's going to try to tackle this problem has to start by making it harder for prohibited people to get firearms in their hands. You said that's the only answer. Nothing happens until that happens. And yet every time we have a mass shooting and in places like Chicago and in some cases here in Charlotte where individuals uh, use uh, weapons, uh, guns as a murder weapon on a regular basis, people throw up their hands. Nothing ever changes. Uh, it's, it's not time to talk about change when a mass shooting happens. It's time for thoughts and prayers. So nothing ever happens. And that's why people have become numb to it, because they know nothing is going to change. Are you optimistic that anything will? I'm optimistic that we can do better than we're doing now. Uh, uh, look, I, uh, to be clear, uh, dealing with prohibited people getting firearms uh, in their hands, is not the only thing that needs to happen. There's a, there's a whole bunch that needs to happen. And there's an important policy debate that is going on in this country about uh, things that should be done or need to be done. Uh, to try and help at this problem. At ATF, but, as you said, when you introduced me, our job is to enforce and implement the laws that are on the books. And there are things we can do uh, with those laws uh, to try and help this situation. So, for instance, Congress recently passed Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, which for the first time ever put a standalone law on the books, which talks about what's called straw purchasing. What straw purchasing basically is, is uh, somebody getting somebody who can't get a gun, getting somebody who is allowed to buy a gun to get it for them and give it to them for money. Usually, uh, they also for the first time put on the books 
a new federal statute that deals in firearms trafficking. Now, we at ATF uh, are out there every day working with state and local law enforcement, including, by the way, right here in North Carolina, to catch and prosecute and punish people who are doing that, because that is part of the process of guns getting out of lawful commerce and into the hands of people who aren't allowed to have them. Uh, if you want to talk about something local, um, this doesn't just happen in big cities, right? You pointed out, Mike, you're totally right. This happens all over in different kinds of communities. We at ATF just finished uh, working with uh, people up in Winston-Salem. So that's that's uh, Chief Penn up there. Uh, that's Sheriff Kimbrough up there in Forsyth County. Uh, to surge resources to that area because they were seeing an increase in gun crime and violent crime and using crime gun intelligence to identify the most violent trigger pullers in that community uh, ended up uh, bringing cases that will end up in the prosecution of somewhere near 70 people in that community. So is, are, are these things that I'm telling you, you know, there's no one silver bullet that's going to solve this problem, right? We, but there are things we can do with the current laws to try and make things better. And that's ATF's job. There's men and women at ATF every day who are running towards gunfire instead of away from it, towards gunfire uh, to try and help make things better. But you're absolutely right. Nobody is saying that all of the things that I just told you is going to resolve the problem. There's very few federal laws on the books that, that control guns. It's pretty much a patchwork of state laws on the books. And if one state has weaker gun laws than another, can you ever really get your hands around this problem? Because guns cross borders all the time. Yeah, so, so guns do cross borders all the time. And you're correct that in our constitutional system, uh, that state policymakers make some of the decisions in their own states there are federal laws also, but you're correct about that. Uh, one of the things you say that guns cross state lines, one of the things that we are doing uh, is at the attorney general's direction from last year, we're dealing, trying to deal with gun trafficking, gun running uh, from across state borders. And we formed six different uh, strike forces across the United States that try to marry up the market cities and the source cities to catch gun runners. So for instance, you know, if you live in a, in a place where um, the guns are coming from somewhere else to your community to hurt people. We try, we're trying to get law enforcement in that state together with law enforcement in the source state where people are, are taking the guns from to bring those cases. And we brought quite a few of those cases. Um, and, but you're right, policymakers also look at these kinds of things in terms of upfront regulation, and that's their job. Our job at ATF is to enforce the laws on the books with our state and local partners and try and save the community uh, uh, pain from shooters who are out there hurting people. Um, let's let's talk about uh, uh, what's causing this problem of gun theft. I mean, if, if, is that the biggest problem? Is the biggest reason that all these murders are being committed because guns have been stolen and therefore there have been no background checks? Or is it other things like mental it's health, a, the lack sure. of red flag laws, et cetera? It's, it's a both and, right? So, so... Uh, it, look, 1.2 million guns getting stolen from private citizens, that's over five years, that's 250,000 a year. Uh, that's a serious problem. And one of the reasons I talk about that problem is that we, there, there's something that we can do about that problem as a community, as a country, that doesn't require laws. Uh, and that's store your guns safely. Look, everybody talks about the United States of America 
of being a country where Americans have a right to bear arms. That is true. But Americans also have a responsibility to secure those arms safely and appropriately. And when I hear a sheriff tell me that firearms are being stolen from a mall in a suburban area outside of a large city, which this is something that a sheriff did tell me, where the doors of the cars are predominantly unlocked and the gun is sitting loose under the driver's seat, we are asking for trouble. If it, people who are law-abiding gun owners in this country can do something about this on their own. And that's one of the reasons I talk about it. It's because it's an area we can make progress. I'm not saying that's the only problem, Mike. That, that's for sure. Uh, straw purchasing is another way that these guns are leaking out uh, from lawful commerce into unlawful commerce as well. Um, and then there's the increasing technologies that are being used uh, by people who want to break the law to hurt other people. One of those things that uh, we're getting attention on now is something called a machine gun conversion device. And these are small items, usually the size of a, a small piece of plastic or metal, uh, which are used uh, very frequently now to attach to a lawful gun that is a semi-automatic gun and instantly convert that into an illegal machine gun. That's, uh, machine guns have been, been illegal uh, in this country for, for decades and decades. And it used to be something we didn't see. Now, cops are out there, people are out there, and they're facing guns that can fire a thousand rounds a minute sometimes. Think about that. A thousand rounds a minute uh, that are wholly illegal. It's incredibly dangerous. Uh, law enforcement is facing it and the community is facing it. And that is something that we have to try and get our arms around, which is very concerning. Stephen Dedelback is the director of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. We will continue our conversation in just a moment at Charlotte Talks on WFAE. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte. Using Mazda's customer-centric approach to cars to create a car buying and servicing experience where the customer is the center of their business. More at MazdaOfSouthCharlotte.com. It's Charlotte Talks on Listener Funded, 90.7 WFAE and WFAE.org. We're talking about the intersection of gun laws and gun violence. There's a rampant amount of it in the country today, and Stephen Dettelback is trying to put his mark on stopping it. He is the director of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, better known to many as the ATF. We were talking before the break about guns being stolen. They're being stolen from gun stores and pawn shops, but they're really being stolen from individuals who legally own the guns. They've been licensed. They've been through background checks. We live in a culture where people can't get enough guns. They're buying them at an explosive rate, no pun intended. We have more guns in this country than we've ever had before, and the number is growing. Because it is growing so quickly, is that why we have so many guns being stored improperly? Because we have people who are simply not accustomed to gun culture getting the guns for whatever reason, and they don't know what to do with them when they got them. Look, I mean, I think it's very important that people who uh, choose to become gun owners become educated gun owners, that they, that they do the training that they need to do, that they, they seek the education they need to seek to, to be safe, uh, legal gun owners. Uh, and so one of the things that we do working with people uh, in the law enforcement and in the in the industry is try to educate folks on secure storage. 
Uh, that's a very important thing that's going on now. Um, and, and it really is a responsibility of every, of every uh, law-abiding individual who chooses to become a gun owner. Um, again, I don't know what causes somebody uh, to, to, to not take the care to store something that they hold very dear. Uh, but, you know, to me, it makes all the sense in the world that if you choose to become a gun owner, if you value that right, if you value that item, that you'll, sec- that you'll secure it appropriately so that people can't steal it from you. And by the way, I hear people say all the time, well, there's nothing we can really do because people can get through these security devices. Okay, that, that may be true to an extent, but it's just like a car. You don't leave your car unlocked and then complain uh, about some, how easy it is for somebody to get into it. And when people go through parking lots, when people try to steal things, they look for the people who are not defending the item. They look for the unlocked door. Just making somebody deal with a security device that may take a minute or two minutes to get through may actually prevent the theft. Uh, and so to me, it makes all the sense in the world that people who truly care about their rights uh, to bear arms will care about their responsibility to secure them. When We have a very powerful gun lobby in this country, and it's coming from the NRA and other sources, including individuals. And every time policymakers try to take a step toward regulating guns more stringently, there are people fighting back against that, including fighting back against what Americans want. They, the majority of Americans want background checks. The majority of Americans want red flag laws. Do background checks have an impact on guns falling into the wrong people's hands? Do they punish law-abiding gun owners or the or licensed gun dealers more than they punish the criminals? Now, background checks are a very effective way to prevent firearms from falling into the hands of murderers, rapists, robbers, people that everybody agrees and that Congress has said for many, many years should not have the right to own firearms. Uh, every year, uh, you know, many, many, many gun sales are stopped uh, because of the, the NICS, it's called the National Instant Criminal uh, Service that, back, that does the background checks. That, that system uh, uh, stops many, many sales from occurring every year. And so background checks are a good thing. Uh, background checks result in, in uh, preventing people from having firearms. Um, and uh, while um, uh, it's important uh, to preserve people's Second Amendment rights, um, the idea of background checks somehow being an, an infringement uh, in our system uh, doesn't doesn't prove to be the case. As you said, it, people are able to lawfully transact transact firearms business now with the background checks, uh, and then um, we are able also uh, with background checks to prevent felons and murderers from getting firearms. How do we know that? It's difficult to impr- to prove a negative. How do we know? that background checks, red flag laws, et cetera, make people safer, that, uh, that they don't impede the progress of, of lawful gun owners, that, that we would have less violence if we had more of those? Well, I, I, I mean, two things. First, uh, there's just a common sense part of this, right? If a murderer can go into a gun store and, and buy uh, an, an AR-15 or a handgun, uh, that's not good. Uh, and that person uh, is, is, is more dangerous, as Congress has determined, uh, and shouldn't have that firearm. The second thing is every year we know that background checks are stopping many, many people because we know that they were rejected from the background check process uh, and they don't get that gun uh, at the at the at the gun store. So we know that it's working because it is stopping uh, 
prohibited people from getting those firearms. The ATF yeah. works with. By, local... by the way, just I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, uh, you know, and, and and we work with with the industry on straw purchasing cases. So the firearms industry works with us on a program called Don't Lie for the Other Guy. Uh, that's a program where um, we uh, work together with the National Shooting Sports Foundation um, to try and make sure that gun store owners are educating people about not doing straw purchases uh, because they also agree that background checks are an effective way for gun dealers uh, to prevent uh, uh, transactions that shouldn't happen. Uh, every year, many people in the uh, firearms business uh, uh, on their own choose to stop sales to individuals for various reasons that they are uncomfortable with or believe wouldn't pass a background check. Uh, so there are a lot of folks who have bought into this idea, as you pointed out before, um, that background checks help make us safer. You are only the second ATF director to win Senate approval since 2006 and the first permanent director in, I think, seven years. You're a Democrat or you're working in a Democrat-controlled administration at the moment. And we have a Republican-controlled House, many of whom uh, are wearing gun pins on their lapels and not American flags. What is the impact of that? What is the impact of politicians appearing in campaign commercials, toting guns and metaphorically blowing away their opponents? Does that does that do something to uh, work against what you're trying to accomplish? Look, I'm in law enforcement. Uh, I'm not in the political uh, business. I'm not a pundit. Uh, to me, uh, there's a an extremely important discussion and debate that's going on about gun laws in this country. Uh, but that's between the people uh, who are elected to our Congress and are elected to the executive branch. President Biden, uh, who appointed me, has been very very forceful and clear uh, on the policies of the administration. Uh, and then it's for me to take what we have and do the best with what we have now to try and protect people, not just me, but uh, the between five and 6,000 people who work at ATF, like I say, every day are out there literally working with state and local law enforcement, running towards gunfire, dealing with gangs, dealing with very violent individuals who are hurting other people, and risking their lives to, to take them off the street. There is a bill working its way through the North Carolina House and Senate that we're going to be talking about with our other guests later in the program. Uh, they're considering a bill that would end the state's pistol purchase permit system. Currently, people who want to get buy a handgun either have to have a concealed carry permit or get one from a county sheriff. This new bill would do away with that requirement. Gun dealers would do their own background check, uh, but there would be no state check and there would be no background check for private handgun sales. It would also allow handguns on school property where religious services are being held. And to be fair, it does include a section launching a new state campaign on safe gun storage and distribution of free gun locks. But what is your reaction to this legislation? So, uh, as I said before, Mike, in our constitutional system, it, states have the, the authority to enact their own laws. Or, uh, and so it's not really my role. And, and I frankly don't know enough about it to express an opinion. What little I've heard about it has been from the local law enforcement uh, community in North Carolina that I just talked to recently. And uh, 
I'll let them express their own views on whether they think that's a good idea to protect the men and women wearing badges who are out there risking their lives. So given everything we've talked about, and given these moves in certain states across the country where they're trying to weaken gun laws, not strengthen them, do you believe that we will see a decrease in gun violence or mass shootings anytime soon? I hope so. It's this wholly unacceptable state of affairs. You know, I have seen times in this country where violent crime has uh, grown, and I've seen it times where it has shrunk. It is my hope that by being smart on crime, by, uh, by targeting the most uh, violent trigger pullers, that we can push back and try to lower the violent crime rate in this country. I don't think I'm being uh, wholly unrealistic when I say that I think we can do that. It's come down a little bit in the last year, but it needs to come down way more. But I just want to emphasize something that you started with when, uh, when we started this conversation, Mike, which is, you know, everywhere I go, I don't just meet with law enforcement, I meet with victims. And this is a, you know, for every one of these numbers, it's not a number, right? It's a family of people. I keep that in my heart. I keep that in my schedule. And I keep that in my mind. Every time I talk, it is our duty, the rest of us who aren't celebrating, you know, Easter without somebody there, who aren't celebrating Passover without somebody we love sitting there, is up to the rest of us to do something for the victims of gun crime in this country. Whether that's by doing what ATF does, enforcing the laws, whether it's by speaking your mind, uh, it has to not be by accepting what's going on now. Uh, As I said before, and I'll say again, it is wholly unacceptable and wholly un-American. It's not part of our culture to be shooting and killing each other. We all need to say that over and over again uh, to try and make people realize that we are in a very, very urgent situation. And we will leave this conversation with that. Stephen Dettelbach is the director of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Before we move on, I I want to mention that we recorded that conversation, including its introduction, early yesterday afternoon. At the time I referenced, there were 80 mass shootings so far since the start of 2023. Shortly after we recorded that conversation, the number grew to 83. So now we're going to shift our attention, our discussion of gun violence and gun laws to North Carolina. Yesterday afternoon, the North Carolina House passed a bill to repeal the law that requires buyers of handguns to get a permit from their local sheriff. A similar bill had already moved through the state Senate, pushed by Republican lawmakers. This controversial move will allegedly make it easier for people to buy handguns and carry them concealed in more places. State Senator Mushtaba Muhammad is a Democrat representing District 38, which covers Mecklenburg County. He believes these Republican efforts will make North Carolinians less safe. He is with us for the remainder of the hour, along with Larry Hyatt, the owner of Hyatt Guns in Charlotte. He's in favor of repealing the current pistol permitting requirement. Thank you both for being here. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Before we start, I should mention that we invited Republican sponsors of this legislation to be part of this discussion. After contacting 15 people, only three responded, but they had scheduling conflicts and could not participate. So, Senator, let me start with you. There were two proposals moving through the General Assembly. One would get rid of these pistol permits, allowing people to buy handguns without having to get approval of a local sheriff. And according to WRAL-TV in Raleigh, they'd still have to pass a background check, a federal background check. It passed in the Senate on a party line vote, 29 to 19. It passed yesterday in the House, 67 to 48. How similar are these two bills? 
Yeah, Mike, a great question. But look, real quick, just let me just begin by saying what the director talked about as far as us growing numb to what's happening in the country real quick. Um, what I will say, I've heard in committee so many parents and families come out and ask elected officials and leaders to do something. And they're saying that leaders are essentially being grossly negligent. And that's what these bills exactly do. So in the Senate, we had Senate Bill 41, which essentially had the repeal of the pistol purchase permit. Uh, they had a uh, public safety awareness campaign for safe storage and allowing guns in places of worship that have an educational property. That was the Senate version. Now the House passed a similar version, but with two different provisions, not in there. It was simply the pistol purchase permit, House Bill 50. Now both of those bills have passed both chambers um, and they'll be sharing the, the bills uh, with the other chamber and the Republican majority will likely figure out which way they want to head. So it's all a little confusing, at least to me it is. So let's go through this. Both of these bills would eliminate the need for a gun purchaser to go to a local sheriff to get permission to buy the gun. Uh, And according to the people who are pushing this idea, those sheriffs often made decisions about who should get a gun inconsistently and often in a racist manner. They say it's a relic of Jim Crow. Republican uh, Senator Danny Britt from Lumberton, the lead sponsor of this bill, says, quote, sheriffs can deny someone the right to purchase a handgun if there's an issue with their, quote, moral character, which he calls an arbitrary decision. Is he wrong? I think he's absolutely wrong. I think a number of North Carolinians and Americans would agree with me. Um, the pistol purchase permit is a comprehensive system, uh, provides a background check. You heard the ATF director talk about the uh, National Instant Criminal Background Check System. That is solely for the federal firearm licensees. Now, uh, the sheriff also provides a comprehensive background check background check, and that includes the administrative office of courts. So our sheriff goes through the court system to look at pending criminal charges, recent convictions before issuing uh, permits. It also takes into account involuntary commitments for folks struggling with mental health issues. So it's a much more comprehensive background check, I would say, which includes the next system before a permit is provided to ensure safety of all people in North Carolina. Larry, the other side of that argument is that sheriffs are in a position to identify individuals in communities who may be a threat to themselves and others because they allegedly know the community. Does one of those arguments outweigh the other in your mind as somebody who deals in arms sales every day? Well, Mike, with this law, uh, the governor signs or, or overrides a veto, my business, my staff will have to enforce the law. They'll have to do the background checks. And what we have now, the permit system now, a person can come in with a pistol purchase permit that can be up to five years old and still buy that gun. What we want is this new system. We will get an up-to-date instant check on that person. So there would be no intervening time where they could have done something that would not allow them to buy a gun. So this is an absolute good thing to give us an up-to-date system. But it's, it's the coming same from system the, the sheriff uses. Yeah, but the, okay, but the check is coming from the federal government, and if you go through the sheriff, he can filter that information with perhaps information that has just happened that the federal government doesn't know about because there is no national database for reporting these kinds of crimes and gun exchanges. So this this also puts the onus on you, the gun shop owner, to do the background check. Are gun shops of all sizes? equipped to do this it will it be a burden absolutely you cannot have a federal firearms license if you're not able to do this 
it's a complex process. It takes a while to do it. Your people have to be trained, but it is the best thing we've ever had. Our background check system is more up to date. We have the technology now to get instant information from mental health, military, and criminal. Uh, it's fabulous. I would not want to open my doors without it. It is so important. I I know that Senator Mushtaba, Mushtaba Muhammad, I know that you want to comment on that. I don't have time to let you do that before the break. So we'll come back from the break and I'll give you a chance to speak to that. We're here with Senator Mushtaba Muhammad from Mecklenburg County in the state Senate and Larry Hyatt, who owns Hyatt Guns in Charlotte. Longtime owner, been in the business for a half a century, as a matter of fact. We're coming right back at Charlotte Talks on WFAE. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, incorporating Mazda's customer-centric vehicle design by making the customer the center of business to create a better car buying experience. More at MazdaOfSouthCharlotte.com. It's Charlotte Talks on listener-funded 90.7 WFAE and WFAE.org. We're talking about the recently passed yesterday in the House, the gun law repealing uh, uh, pistol requirements uh, with Senator Mushtaba Muhammad, a Democrat from Mecklenburg County, and Larry Hyatt, the owner of Hyatt Guns. I know you wanted to respond to the question I asked Larry about whether having only a single federal background check and eliminating sheriffs from the equation is a good idea or a bad one. Sure, Mike. I, again, it's a, it's a terrible idea. Uh, and, and the important part about this is we should all be able to live safely in our communities, be able to go to the grocery store, go to our schools, be able to go to the movie theater safely. And as elected officials, we have a duty to ensure the safe health and well-being of all North Carolinians. Senate Bill 41, Senate 50, uh, House Bill 50 are a huge backstop instead of strengthening our laws and strengthening our communities because it's going to create a massive loophole in private sales of guns. Right now, you would still have to, for any gun transfer or sale, you would, uh, handgun transfer, you would have to get that pistol purchase permit. So Mike, if I were to sell you my gun, I would not have to do a, uh, any type of background check on you at all. So, so any type of private uh, encounters where you're selling or transferring a gun, there's no background check required if this bill were to pass. Now, if I'm going to see Larry and purchasing a gun from them, of course, he's going to be able to provide that next background check through the federal folks. But this is going to be a giant loophole uh, in our system. Larry, how do you view that loophole? Yes, you have to do the background check, but if I sell my gun to you privately, I, I can just sell it to you. Yes, and this is within the state, and this is an issue. And one thing this new law will do, it'll give the federal firearms dealers uh, the opportunity to finally offer a transfer policy where you can bring your gun in and the, to our store and the person that you want to sell it to, and we'll do the background check right then. But the am I am I likely to am I likely to do that? Every good citizen, you wouldn't want to sell your car to someone without. No, but a lot of guns check. are not. A lot of guns are are not held by good citizens. Now those that's another story. But the good citizens, uh, they don't want the liability of selling a gun to someone that being misused or showing up in a school. So there's so, a tremendous demand to get these checks done on a private basis. Uh, the, we've already doing it for rifles and shotguns. We're doing it for estates. When someone dies and they're distributing uh, the guns in the estate, we're doing it from person to person every day. And with this new system, it will make it less cumbersome. And I think you will see a massive amount of people start using that system. So, Senator, law-abiding gun owners might go through the process of taking their gun to a gun store and have them do the background check before they sell, send it to their, sell, sell it to their next-door neighbor. 
And even if they don't, their next door neighbor is probably a law abiding citizen. But there are a lot of guns that are passed back and forth from people who are not. And they have evil intent in, in, in getting a gun in the first place. Is there any difference about this policy and the other policy? Because that was happening anyway, wasn't it? This is the problem. There's might and probably. And as, as leaders, our job is to ensure the protection of people in North Carolina across the country. And this is what I'm what I'm saying. House Bill 50 and Senate Bill 41 are going to create this private sale loophole. And even we even offered amendments on the floor, Mike, to essentially close that private sale loophole. If folks really thought that it was burdensome to have to go through a pistol purchase permit requirement through their sheriff and then get another background check uh, for a handgun through a through Larry's uh, through, through through Larry's gun shop. But unfortunately, those calls to even close that private sale loophole were tabled and Republicans voted against that. There is this provision uh, that gun store owners have to do a federal background check on somebody wanting to buy a pistol. Okay, but federal background checks do not flag most domestic violence convictions in the state. Sheriffs do flag them. If this bill becomes law, it puts the the onus on the gun dealers to check backgrounds. Are you worried, Larry, that somebody who shouldn't have a gun will get one? In the firearms business, you're always worried. It is a huge responsibility. You have to look people in the eye that are buying a gun and not only obey the letter of the law, but you have to put some of your own instincts into it. Uh, Fortunately, people that try to buy a gun legally are generally the best citizens, and it's not a a huge issue. It's the illegal guns, just like illegal drugs, where the massive amount of problems are. Nevertheless, it is a big deal. Now, domestic violence has a whole nother policy. If someone is convicted of domestic violence, even a misdemeanor, they can never buy a gun again the rest of their life. And that is in the federal system. You you have been in gun sales for 50 years, as I said. I know that you are in favor of repealing this uh, current pistol permitting requirement. And yet you've also been quoted in news reports in the past as saying we need more thorough background checks and comprehensive mental health screening for those looking to obtain gun permits. Do those two positions contradict the other? No, because what's happened, the federal background check system had flaws in it. They were not getting some of the mental information, some of the military information. Uh, Now they have put money out to cities and towns all over the country to help get into the database all the people who should be prohibited. And the system is so much better now than it was five or even 10 years ago. So we have made huge strides. And it's because of technology. It has really done a great service for buying a gun in a gun store. Not so much for outside but definitely for people buy, trying to buy a gun in a gun store, they've got a domestic violence, military, criminal, mental. Uh, they're the most likely now to be turned down they've ever been. Senator uh, Larry makes an interesting point. The, the bad guys who are trading guns behind the scenes uh, uh, and putting extra equipment on guns to make them automatic weapons aren't, aren't doing that in a gun store. They're doing that between each other, among, amongst each other. Law-abiding citizens are the ones going to the gun stores. Does that relieve some of your concern? Again, absolutely not, because we ha- there are still a number of sales through private sales. Again, this is a much more comprehensive check, Mike. We've talked about it. It goes through the administrative office of courts. There's a court check, more, much more recent convictions check. If there was an issue as far as permitting, because some folks do get their gun permits in advance and they have a time frame within five years to get their guns still. That was an issue that we brought up in committee that we could fix. We could always solve bills and make them better. But this legislation isn't going to solve that. It's going to create uh, 
unfortunately, a lot less safer communities. States that have had much more comprehensive uh, gun safety laws have seen drastic uh, decreases in gun violence and fewer mass shootings. So uh, in states like Missouri, who have repealed their pistol purchase permits, saw an increase in suicide rates, saw an increase in gun violence after repeals of pistol purchase mm -hmm. permit repeal requirements. The overwhelming majority of Americans and the overwhelming majority of North Carolinians favor uh, universal background checks and red flag laws. Uh, WRAL News reports, uh, they did a poll last year that they found uh, North Carolinians want stricter gun laws. 90% support universal background checks. 87% support red flag laws. ATF Director Stephen Dettelback just a few moments ago said that any successful strategy in controlling gun violence has to start with making it harder for prohibited individuals to get their hands on firearms. And yet we don't see many moves in that direction. In fact, we see moves in the opposite direction. Why aren't policymakers listening? Mike, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an increasingly grossly negligent problem. Like, like I talked about earlier, I think you have gun lobbies and special interests who are pushing elected officials the wrong way. Uh, folks are looking at their next political campaigns instead of looking at the life in their communities. We're too busy protecting guns instead of protecting life, especially for a majority party that always talks about protecting life. This is a totally hypocritic thing. Um, I think what we've done, we've provided many times at each session uh, bills and even this time when, during the debates for this bill, um, amendments to provide universal background checks, closing the private sale loopholes. We've also offered red flag laws amendments to our bills each time in the North Carolina General Assembly. These legislations haven't even gotten a committee hearing or a floor vote. And if discussion was even made by Democrats on the floor, then those amendments were quickly tabled. Larry, uh, as somebody who sells firearms and has been doing it for a long time, you obviously talk to your customers. You, you talked about looking uh, your customer in the eye and trying to make a judgment to see if that person really is uh, fit to, to, to own a gun. I'm not sure how, how effective that really is because it requires a judgment call that may not be based on any factual information. But anyway, uh, do you believe, because people on, the, people on one side of the political aisle who propose to remove these restrictions and who waive the Second Amendment, uh, they say that we'll be safer when everybody in the country is armed. Do you believe that? Well, there's a lot of arguments out there. I personally absolutely believe in these background checks. And uh, when I say look them in the eye, if someone, we're trained to spot straw sales, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms bureau has trained our staff so that if someone comes in the store and says something or gives acts a certain way or there's someone lurking in the parking lot, we're watching for those signals so we can turn a gun down even if they have all the documents we can still deny that sale. So that that is a very important part of our jobs. Well, let me ask you uh, this. I mean, you've been in yes. business for a long time, and you are the go-to guy in this uh, in this area uh, for media uh, to, to come to when a, a gun incident happens. Uh, clearly, you try to operate in a moral and a responsible manner. Do you think that most of the people in your business, large and small, share those values? Yes, I do. In fact, most people in the firearm business are ex-law enforcement and military. And uh, my experience is that the people that are illegal, that are licensed, uh, the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearm Bureau has vetted those out. Um, they're easier to find, easier to spot. Uh, undercover agents have gone in. So 
that is really not a big part of, of our problem is illegal dealers or people doing things wrong. In fact, there's really not a lot of kingpin gun traffickers. It's a lot of small individual people selling gun to gun. The heroin dealers bringing their uh, addicts down to your neighborhood and letting them out. They go down your street and break in every car in the neighborhood to try to steal something. They'll get a gun or a computer and that gun is going to be sold right into the hands of criminals. So there's just so much going on right now that controlling firearms and firearms violence is with all the laws we passed, there's probably over 5,000 well, laws been passed since I've been in business. None of them have really worked effectively outside the gun store. America has more guns per capita than any other nation on earth, and the number is growing, and it grows after every mass shooting, and it grows whenever attempts to control guns are even whispered about in legislatures and in Congress. These two new bills that are passing through the General Assembly uh, don't seem to have any... Uh, control of what's been happening that we're told by law enforcement has been happening on a regular basis. And that is legally owned guns being stolen from homes and particularly from automobiles because they have not been properly secured. And according to the ATF, the Carolinas often lead the nation in the number of firearms stolen from licensed arms sellers, meaning pawn shops and gun stores. Have you had any successful robberies? From your store? Not successful. We sure have had a lot of attempts. Uh, stealing guns from gun stores has gotten bolder and bigger as uh, the criminals have learned from uh, internet uh, videos showing how to break in, stealing a vehicle, taking nine or ten people, casing the business, smashing the door down with a vehicle, running in, grabbing 30 or 50 guns, running out, getting getaway cars. The last two minutes, very difficult for police to get there. So what gun dealers had to do is harden their stores, put more barriers, more ways yeah. to keep criminals at much expense. But uh, gun stores with less financial, uh, they're, they're having a hard time paying all the money because it's almost like being robbed when you pay all that money for for bars Security. and burger alarms but, video. But Mike, Mike, the, Mike, one of the things is that you no longer have to steal guns anymore. With Under these bills, you can go online to certain marketplaces online and buy guns straight directly from individuals without having to have to worry about even stealing guns and lurking in parking lots and worrying about unlocked doors. That's what we're opening ourselves up to with these legislations. A lot of gun violence is perpetrated by young people, mostly young men, many of whom did not legally obtain the weapons they're using. What is the minimum age, Senator, at which you can legally buy a firearm in North Carolina? Um, it's, it's, I believe it's 18 years old. Uh, but unfortunately, there's no there's no age as far as um, long guns. I'm sure Larry could tell you we've we've had discussions about raising it up to 21. But unfortunately, those discussions haven't gone far at all. And, and, and Larry, Senator Mushtaba Muhammad here has said that if you can't buy alcohol until you're 21, you shouldn't be able to buy a firearm until you're 21 uh, or a rifle at the age of 18. Are, are you on the same page? And if not, why does it make sense? That's very difficult because different maturity, different people in different circumstances. Someone living at home with their parents versus a young couple that's in an apartment and they're in fear and want self-protection. You've got uh, so many things that you can draft it at 18, okay? But 21 is a age to buy a handgun, okay? 18 for a rifle or a shotgun is current law today. Hmm. House Republicans lack a supermajority by one vote. 
uh, last year when these bills went through, uh, they, the, the supermajority uh, deficit was even worse, and so the governor could override easily the, any bill that he didn't like, and that was one of them. Uh, last week, some Democrats joined Republicans in the House uh, to pass their version of this bill, actually yesterday. If this goes through both houses and gets a veto, Senator, from the governor, Will Democrats cross the aisle and override the veto? So, Mike, and this is where we're at. I mean, this is a session recently just started our new biennium. And the reality is the Republican majority has essentially taken all the bills out of the trash can that the governor had vetoed. It essentially every single week is putting these bills back on the calendar. So these bills, yes, they were they were vetoed last session by Governor Cooper. Uh, thankfully, there were no efforts to over override his veto. And I think we would have rightfully been able to sustain it. Obviously, the political climate has changed in the North Carolina Senate. Uh, the Republicans have a super majority. And like you mentioned in the House, they're one sheet shy, essentially, of a supermajority. But I think I'm pretty confident that Democrats will be able to hold the 49 Democrats in the state house. The problem is the political gamesmanship as far as notices, when they're going to be calendaring it, how much time will they give folks uh, to be able to gather, to be able to sustain a governor's veto. Uh, and that's what's going to happen. And preserving life shouldn't be politics. But if the people who made this possible for the bill to pass in the House yesterday, the Democrats, uh, uh, are presented with a veto, will they stick up for the, their governor or will they vote the way they did before? That's the I'm, question. I'm, I'm confident that Democrats will be able to sustain the veto. And we have to stop there. Senator Mushtaba Muhammad from Mecklenburg County, Larry Hyatt, owner of Hyatt Guns. Thank you both for the hour. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, focused on applying Mazda's customer-centric approach for vehicle design to car buying and servicing in order to create an experience centered around the customer. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com.